gloomy, mostly Euclidean confines of Castle Gormagon, upon the lofty wind-blasted heights of the Plateau of Lang, I am Confucius the Ecumenical Volgi, and this is Radio Gormagon. Welcome to the lovely grounds of Castle Gormagon, where Pewter, the Mandarin, and I, Gorti, have gathered to watch Pewter do some grenade fishing, while we discuss recent events, critical thinking, and other topics if we have time between explosions. I mean, I wrote that piece today on the site. I don't know if anybody saw it. I saw it. Yeah, it's kind of slapdash and spur of the moment, but it was... It was okay. I can't get my head... I can't wrap my head around um, why everybody's set off about this whole thing. You know, I mean, I, I understand the generic, a woman died, there are hateful people with a, a hateful ideology. Yep. But they're both hateful ideologies. I mean, you know, I, I don't like Trump. I'm not a Trump defender. I never, I didn't vote for him. He's not my favorite guy. I think he's an embarrassment as a president. Just, I mean, just from a presidential standpoint, not that necessarily everything he's doing is bad and wrong, but it, it just seems to me that, you know, you know you've got the media bashing rightly for their ideology but i mean the the, the, the nazis were the only one with the permit and yeah, the, think, the pe- go ahead i would say yeah i think what you're saying too is for years the entire election anybody who voted for trump was it was a fascist was a nazi was a fascist was a nazi and here's a perfect example you've got 200 guys that come up for a protest and this is the left's prime example of here look this is what it is these guys are all nazis and here they are look it's them this is no different than the Westboro Baptist Church coming out, all 10 of them. They had 200 guys in a square, and they're trying to basically use this to justify their entire meme that they've used for the last year and a half between you know, labeling every single Republican voter as, as a Nazi. And I think that's why the press has lashed on so rapidly. No, I, I would agree with that. I mean, Mandy, and I think it's, it's even more than that. I mean, it's, it's just such a bias. I'm tired of the bias and I'm tired of the only one side of the story gets told. I mean, really, the story of this is the Nazis are an abhorrent, immoral, awful, evil thing. They had a permit. Our country allows people who are abhorrent, evil, and immoral to speak as long as they're not actively inciting violence. So they had a permit. They were in the park. And the, the Antifa people gathered elsewhere, came in from out of town, just like the Nazis did, for the most part. I'm sure they had a couple hangers on from UVA, you know, who came in. But they marched clear across town to confront the people who had a permit. And they, whoever threw the first punch, we won't know. I mean, we'll never know. But the people that actively went and sought the confrontation were not the Nazis, as much as we would like to blame them, and I would like to see the Nazis you know, be outlawed as much as anybody else, but we're not doing that because I don't want people to be outlawed for what they think. I want them to go to jail for what they do, um, like the godforsaken guy who murdered that woman with the car. But it, it, nobody's, nobody gets anymore. It's just my side versus your side. It, it's you know, Just because you agree with me means you're right. It doesn't matter how, what you did or how you did it or why you did it. It just means I agree with you and your general background, so you're correct. And the media is latching onto this for all it's worth because it's a, it's a fun and ratings-driving story for them. I think I retweeted something today about um, from CNN, and I, somebody else had retweeted it into our timeline. And it was an interesting, <clears throat> it was an interesting thing because CNN 
had had basically said here, here basically here's a list of the 1500 confederate monuments in the south and i'm going oh, oh really here's a road map for everybody who wants to go protest so that we can show up and drive our ratings and have this huge giant to do when you're probably looking at let's say there's 50,000 antifa in this country 50,000 let's say there's 100,000 neo nazis slash you know hardcore racist right people there are 330 million people in this country and we're all fixated on like a half, not even a half percent, probably five basis points of the United States population. And we're fixated on it. And I'm going, why the hell are we worried about this? We got bigger fish to fry. These guys are all ass clowns. Let's just ignore them. So I, you know, that's sort of where I am on that. And that's where I think the, the press has gone off the rails is they're blowing things out of proportion when you consider those kind of numbers that this is one event that happened, and yes, tragic, abhorrent, you know, there's no sense of denying it, but, so I don't want to equate it, but, but equally as immoral and, and uh, disgusting of actions are the Antifa movements all, that happened all over the country for the last 10 years of going and destroying personal property of innocent people who are just, you know, go, go talk to some of the people in downtown Seattle from from the summit that was there and how they are immigrant Asian workers that had uh, the one story I read that had a grocery store down there, like a a bodega type place. And it got trashed by the Antifa movement and they weren't looking for it. They didn't, they didn't take any position in it. They were just happened to be in the wrong place to them. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think what the world needs now is more roof Koreans like they had in Los Angeles during the riots. I mean, people are willing to stand up on their roofs and say, you know, you're welcome to protest all you want. The minute you come and try to throw a Molotov cocktail through my store's window, I'm going to drop you because you're trying to burn my family out. And good for them. I mean, you know, it's, it's well past time that it, it's so hard. This issue is so hard for me because like every good, <laughs> every decent human being on the face of the earth, you hate the Nazis and their ideology. You know, even the fake Nazis are living in their parents' Space, and they like to come out and like you know make a big show of things now because they're not real Nazis. They they would like to be, but they're not. You know, it, they're not getting anywhere. And but the problem is, it's just you end up with the media who's covering for for communists essentially. You know what we would call communists, having grown up in the eighties, people who want to overthrow. You know, they're fascistic in their own way, and it's just a a slightly different ideology. They 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 meet on the ends. If, if, if the political spectrum is really a circle, which it is, they meet at the far end of the circle, you know, the top of the circle, let's call it. So you've got the Nazis slightly to the right of the center of the circle, and you've got the, you know, the communists slightly to the left, and they're both the same thing. They're fascists. They're more than willing to use government force to make you believe a belief. I hate them both for it. You know, communists killed far more than the Nazis ever did. The Nazis were more abhorrent because they were genocidal about it. But the communists didn't care. They would kill anybody just to keep power. I mean, and that's the big difference. I mean, you can talk to people who came from Eastern Europe, and they'll tell you how awful the communists were. You know, it, but it wasn't a genocidal, it wasn't a specifically targeted genocide like the Nazis. And you, you don't have to go that far either. You can go to Cuba. Talk to, I used to have a guy that worked for me who was Cuban, a refugee from Cuba. And he tells horror stories of what went on under the Castro regime. Oh, I know. I've got, I'm trying to think. I've got, well, I, had a Bul- I have Bulgarians working for me who will talk about how their parents, you know, their grandparents were church-going people. Their parents couldn't be. 
because if you were involved in a church, you lost your job instantly. I've got Ukrainians who talked about, you know, whose parents were in the Soviet army at the time because they had to be, they were drafted and they told stories about how corrupt the system was. I mean, it was just a brutal, nasty, dehumanizing system, but they couldn't speak up against it because they'd starve them out. So, I mean, it was just an awful thing. So, you know, it's a shame they both can't lose, but the people that I'd really like to see losing this whole thing, honest to God, and I always come back to this, are the media, because I, they're so, so dishonest and so vested in one side of the story. And I'm not sure I will give them the benefit of the doubt that it's not intentional for most of them, but they really do only tell one side of the story. And I think it might be because they've never been taught or thought to consider the other side of the story. In many cases, simply because they've never met anybody they did who disagrees with them. You know, to your, your uh, previous point though, they're using the force of government to get their point across and to get their beliefs across. Because I think one failure of education, they teach these kids critical thinking and how they actually form an argument and actually debate on the, on the merits of their, of their argument and the issues. To them, again, it's all feeling. It's all what makes them feel good. What they think in their mind is, is social justice. So you get that. I think the press covers for it because, one, it's a stick in the spokes of the conservative movement because they'll you know, lump them in with us. No matter how much we disavow them, they're going to lump them in anyway. Two, you know, you, you said you hope it's not an intentional, you know, slight on, on the part of the press. But I think in some respects... They like Antifa because Antifa is getting their point across. They've tried for years, and the ratings, you know, suck. MSNBC was in a shitter. You know, CNN was in a crapper. You know, Fox News was, was you know, with a conservative viewpoint, was, you know, dominating the ratings. Now you've got this Antifa group. You know, the ratings are still kind of lousy on, on these other networks. They couldn't get their message across by, you know, manipulating the press. Now they've got their almost street army. They're, you know, I don't want to say brown shirts because, again, Anytime you bring up the Nazis as an argument, you've lost your argument. Is that the old saying? You know, in this case, you know, using the Nazis against us is, is almost, again, losing that argument. Yet you can't, no, no conservative. And that, I think that's the difference, too, is the conservative movement is really one based on belief in the Constitution, belief in limited government, belief in, you know, sound economic system, free, you know, free trade, whatever, you know, what have you. And the Nazis believe in none of that. You know, they are national socialists. It's, it's in the name. It, it's, you know, they can't advertise it any, any you know, any more explicitly. It's, it's right there. And I think that's where people really don't want to understand politics to begin with, don't understand how the Constitution of this country works or what it's about. Again, they're able to go through, run through, and act like children. Unfortunately, people are dying. And I said, I don't, you know, the guy drove his car through, through the crowd. The, the Nazis, you know, he killed that woman. Now, you know, can you go back and say, well, maybe that would never would have happened had the police actually enforced the permits. Obviously, Antifa didn't have a permit. They let them, you know, into that area to confront the Nazis. You know, again, you got two asshat organizations butting heads with each other. It would be nice if they, you know, put them in a cage and nobody came out of the cage. I mean, let, let's, let's call, a, you know, call it for what it is. But at the same time, who thought it was a great idea to basically let civilization and civil order break down? That was the, you know, the mayor of the city and the governor. So how, well, how yeah, are they not culpable? Exactly right. I mean, it, it was definitely Terry McAuliffe, you know, who was a Clintonite. And I think he was doing it for, for gain. I mean, he was doing it for personal gain. I mean, in Virginia, I believe, and, and Gort can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think they only get one term as governor. They, they, you can't run for a second term. So McAuliffe's up, and he's trying to pave the way for a, for a Democrat governor in a purple state, which is only purple because Northern Virginia sucks. I'm not going to say it out loud. 
uh, but they, they're, they're not very nice and, and they live off the government like most of Maryland, honestly. Um, but it, it's, it's, it, it's very frustrating to watch government at that level become politicized. I mean, yes, they're politicized. Yes, they're political creatures, but they're supposed to be doing the right thing. And I, I had a discussion with discussions, polite word with the tablet and, and laptop tonight. And it was sort of a good back and forth with sort of a heavy leavening of, of social justice worship from, uh, from my Jesuit educated son. And we were, we were back and forth about rule of law. And he said, well, you just worship law. You know, he said, your law is higher than your God. And I said, no, my God is God and God is truth. I said, and the law should reflect the truth. But in order to have a functioning society, you need to have law and you need to have everybody agree that this is the set of rules we're going to fight by. Because if we don't have a set of rules, nobody's going to like the end result of that. And that's what both these ass clown organizations, I think, as, as Mandy said, rightly, are fighting for is they're fighting to destabilize our society and hoping to pick up the pieces out of the rubble. You know, and, it, and again, that you're looking at a tiny fraction of America and everybody's focused on it because what is the media doing? They're focusing on it. And the rest of America is functioning perfectly fine for the most part. I mean, Washington sucks and, you know, Illinois is going to hell and New York's a festering crap hole. But, you know, it, but we, it, we all get along pretty well together for the most part. You know, it's, it's just they need to focus on these outliers and portray it like it's America writ large. And it's just not. Most people in this, most people in this country don't give two figs who lives next door to them as long as they keep their lawn nice and they don't have to watch them have sex in their front lawn or, you know, share a bathroom with, you know, somebody who, you know, who's not of the same judge. They don't, nobody cares, really. It, it's just, they're, they're raising trouble because it means ratings. And it's really alienating society. Our president's not helping us at the moment because he keeps creating a lot of this friction that allows the media to portray this as, you know, I don't think as a country we're as bad off as people say we are. I, I don't know what you think. I mean, what do you think, Gordon? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. There was a tweet somewhere, I think that actually Volge sent around that, that started a little mini thread on Gen X, which we're all part of, and how we're, you know, demographic-wise, we're a very small generational cohort, but that we generally are rather even keeled to, to these type of issues. And there's not a lot of conflict within us. We can have rational discussions around these type of topics without blowing our lids. I have liberal cousins who are losing their minds over this. They're, they're roughly 10 years younger than I am, and they're losing their minds over this. And, and one of them, uh, uh, the, the spouse of one of them who I get into frequent debates with, has sent me messages going, I can't believe that you still participate in this debate. And I'm like, it's, it's a rational debate that I'm having. Like, I ignore... He'll, he'll just go off the rails and the, the, the language almost becomes incoherent that he tries to blend all this stuff from, you know, a mix of philosophy and, you know, historical documents and stuff. And he blends it all together, I think, to, to try to sound intelligent on the matter when, when he hasn't pieced it together well to make it coherent. But uh, I ignore that part and try to get to the root part of the issue. And maybe that's the engineer in me or, or having some level of Jesuit education and, and critical thinking skills. You know, I was going to interrupt earlier when, when Pewter was talking and, and I said, you know, God is truth and, and, you know, the law is law. And 
I'm like, that's what happens when you have a philosophy major with a law degree. <laughs> no, that's true. And I think, I think you're right about the Jesuit education. I think you're right about critical thinking. I mean, critical, critical thinking is lost. And I think there is something to be said for generational integrity. We're, it's completely self-serving for me to say this and for us to say this, but we're, we're the same generation between two batshit crazy generations. I mean, you've got the boomers who were, I always look at it this way. So you had the greatest generation. So they grew up in the depression, right? They, through no fault of their own, they were born into the depression. They fought the second world war, which was the, you know, they thought World War I was the war to end all wars. No, World War II arguably was, hopefully God, you know, God willing. Um, you know, they fought and fought and died on the beaches, you know, storming islands in the middle of the South Pacific that none of these guys had ever been outside of Chicago or New York City, you know, never met anybody. And they, they, they waded through and across coral reefs through, you know, 10 feet of water, you know, and these horrible withering gunfire. And they did it. And they came home and they said, you know, the guys that made it, they came home and they said, fuck this. I never want to see this again. I just want to go live out the rest of my life in a suburb. And, you know, you couldn't have PTSD back then. So you drank yourself into a stupor if you had it, you know, and you continued to get on with your life. But they said, I don't want my kids to ever have to deal with this. So as a result of them having lived through some of the shittiest conditions in the world, through mechanized war and just abject slaughter, nuclear war, you know, they lived through that. Um, they created a generation of people who were so spoiled and coddled that they thought they deserved it. I mean, you know, the, the baby boom generation is an outlier in our country specifically because the rest of the world's industrial capacity had been destroyed. So, you know, even the guys who didn't know a whole lot and had barely graduated you know, high school, maybe, and were not the brightest guys, you're talking like 80, 90 IQs, could get a great job on the line because they could put a rivet in a car. You know, and they'd be making mad money because they were producing products that no one else in the world could produce at the time. You know, the rest of the world had to be takers. And it was one of those things where without it, it was, they got used to the idea that there would always be a higher standard of living for people who weren't necessarily pushing their skills and their, and their minds farther. So it's just one of those tough things. It, it, it drives me nuts that, that, that everybody thinks we were entitled to that again, when the only reason we ever lived through that and the baby boomers got to experience that was because the generation before them slaughtered everybody else in the world and destroyed their industrial capacity. And a lot of them died doing it. So, and then you, so the, so you got the boomers out of that and then you had the boomers who were idiots as a group, not all of them. And they had millennials. It skipped us. Like I, my parents are technically, my mother's technically not a boomer by one month and my father's a boomer by nine months or seven months. So they had me. So I mean, they're sort of like really of the previous generation, but barely, you know, and I think a lot of us had parents who were sort of at the top end of that boomer generation. Are, you know, so we're not really of that generation of the millennials, you know, who are sort of the late, because I have a sister who's actually millennial because she was born 13 years after me, and she's completely different ideologically, completely different worldview, completely different everything. Whereas my brother, who I disagree with on nearly everything, who's 13 months younger than I, you know, I mean, we're, we're much more similar overall than my sister. And it's just, it, it's a generational difference. I mean, the, the, the late boomers... And I think, I think Czar does a good job of this. And, you know, if you go back to our website and you look at it and you search for Czar's description of the generations, he does a really nice job of breaking out the two halves of the boomer generation. The late boomers are all the friggin' hippies and the people in the 70s who were god off and ruined our culture. You know, and those are the people that had the millennials. 
those who decided to have kids. And now the millennials are the biggest cohort in our country. And, you know, our generation is going to get sandwiched and never have, never get a chance to run the country. But no, I'm sure it'll all work out for the best when we let the emotional people run the country. You know, in general, I agree with a lot of the, I'll, I'll say broad characterizations of, of the millennials, but I do reserve a little bit of hope. And, you know, I work and supervise a large amount of, you know, I have 50 or 60 people that work for me. And there's a fair number of, you know, 20 somethings that are in that group of high tech software developer types that are in that. And I see it. Yeah. When it turns to politics in the office, it it's hard to stomach. And, and the issue is that it's generally so poorly informed and, and it's sad to see that. And, and I think that we've done a disservice in this country on, you know, back to the critical thinking part, we've done a, a, bad job of teaching that and and enforcing that as something. And if you apply some of that, I'll wrap it back to our broader topic. You put some critical thinking to it, which is how we started this podcast of, you know, Pewter running through. This is one small incident that took place in a in a relatively small town in Virginia between two small groups, you know, numbering in the hundreds of people. It isn't it isn't a mass thing. There isn't some you know, Pew survey or some Gallup poll that's showing that this is 30% of the country that's involved in this. It's a, it's a relatively small number. The rest of us are getting up, going to work, doing our jobs, uh, and, and living our lives and, and generally hating both sides of this. Um, you know, it is, while they might not come out and, and tongue lash the Antifa movement, I've talked to lots of liberals who, who, don't support it and think that they're radical and, and extreme on, on their end of the spectrum or, or the Mobius strip or whatever we want to call the political spectrum. Uh, but, they, but they don't come out and vocalize it as much, which you know, might be part of the problem. And, and instead, they'll come out and attack the other side. Because again, back to previous podcasts, right? To them, politics is a religion and, and you know, there's a right and a wrong. No, totally agreed. I mean, did you have something to add, Menor? You know, I was going to say, is, you know, we talk about this abhorrent speech and, you know, nobody wants to hear the Nazis, you know, spew their garbage. And this is like, I don't want to hear the communists spew their garbage either. But there's that saying that sometimes, you know, when you bring these things into the light, that light has a sanitizing antiseptic effect. The more it's exposed, the more the argument, you know, that you see how vile it is. And you see how it has no merit. And I think in some ways, you know, the Antifa movement, you know, again, there are no saints, but sometimes I think, if they just got out of the way, these other groups would destroy themselves. But like we had talked about before, even a little bit before we, you know, got on the po- podcast is, you know, it's almost like they're too stupid to know when to stop punching, you know, and just to let, walk away and let the guy punch himself in the face. You know, it, all it does is they create sympathy for both sides and the wrong kind of sympathy. You know, I'm not saying that I have any, any sympathy for the, for, the, for the Nazis or the Klan or any of these groups. Like you said, their ideas are abhorrent. And they just don't, they don't have a place. But at the same time, if you don't discuss them, if you don't, if you pretend that those things don't exist, you're going to make the same mistake again. Somebody else is going to come up with that idea and, and not almost, how can I say this, not be prepared to argue, to argue you know, the, the counterpoints. You know, I get it. You know, these statues to, to Lee and all these other Confederate generals and everything else. Yeah, I get it. It's, it's, a, it's a touchy subject. You know, it, it, they're basically celebrating guys who you know, cause the civil war, you know, but at the same time, you know, even, even at the end of the war, you know, Lincoln was very adamant that, you know, we 
buried the hatchet, we, you know, with open arms. We took our brothers back in. You know, I mean, everybody talks about a slippery slope, and you know, I, I hate that term because you can make any absurd argument over it. But you know, we were at Gettysburg last year, and I'm wondering at what point do we take all the Confederate monuments down to Gettysburg? You know, I think Gettysburg is a very moving and important symbol of this country because you can go there. And you can see that, you know, yeah, okay, these guys fought for the beliefs. They weren't probably the, the right beliefs, you know, as far as we're concerned today, or even then they weren't the right beliefs. But, you know, it's, it's important to see that, okay, this is what happened. We can't whitewash it. We can't eliminate it. Because the minute you do, it, I think it actually takes away then from the guys who did go out on the union side that went out and, and gave up their lives. Because at some point when you take it away, it becomes a meaningless, it just becomes a meaningless event. No, I completely agree with that. And my, my, you know, going back to Gettysburg, I think it's a good metaphor for where we are right now because basically it was two big dumb armies that stumbled into each other by accident on one of the hottest days of the year. You know, uh, it, you know, on a national holiday, it was just it just happened to be a big dumb coincidence, and they ended up slaughtering each other over the course of three, four, three days. I think it was right, and it, it was just a brutal brother against brother thing. And most of the people who were fighting in that war had no desire to be there in the first instance, you know, and it's sort of the same thing here. It's like you get, you get a fringe of people, usually high end people who don't realize they have a lot to lose or you get low end rabble rousers, you know, but it's usually not the merchant class. It's usually not the people in the middle who are stirring it up. They just want to be left alone, you know, and yet they end up getting sucked into these wars and it's, we don't want any parts of it. It's just, it's, you know, and people will blame us. You know, you know, I've I heard it from my son. It's like, you know, you're middle-aged. You know, you don't want to get in the middle of anything. And I said, you're damn right. I said, I'm, I'm middle-aged. I've got a lot to lose. I said, but I said, you get to, you, there are certain points for me. Because he, he, he accused me, as I said earlier, about the law is my God. And I said, oh, no. You know, we had that discussion. God is my God. And I said, he said well, what, well, what about, you know, when they're doing moral wrongs? I said, well, what moral wrong? You know, I said, I consider a lot of things moral wrongs that I'm not going to hassle my neighbor about. I said, but if they start packing up people and shipping them off because of the color of their skin or what they believe, then, yeah, I might be willing to sacrifice and grab, you know, grab some of my many guns and take up arms against it if I had to. You know, and, and they, I'd instantly get shot and killed. But, it, you know, it's one of those things where what's your level? You know, what do you have to lose and what's your level? And, and at a certain point, it's the human the human aspect of it. What rights are you being denied? You know, everybody thinks they have these rights. And I'm going, well, you know, yeah, sure, but pay for it yourself. Oh, oh no, we can't do that. You know, it, it's just an interesting, what are you, you know, what are you willing to fight for? What are you willing to die for? And the young people who want everybody to pay for them because they have no idea what it means to work hard and have stuff taken away from you to pay for other people. You know, they have a much higher bar for what the government should pay for when they, you know, when, when they think that certain things are rights. And I'm going, that's not necessarily right. So what are you going to say, Mandy? You know, you talk about rights. I think one of the biggest rights that these kids can, they claim to have is the right not to be offended. And I think that's, I think you have a right to be, I don't want to say to be offensive, but again, you can't live in a bubble. And I think what happens is because these, these kids are so, everything triggers them, everything sets them off, that they, they lose sight of, Again, what really the, the, the ultimate battles are. I mean, it's almost like, you know, the old saying, they, everything, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. To them, everything's an offense, you know, a triggering event to them. So everything sets them off. And when things that really are serious come about, it's like the boy who cries wolf. You cried, you know, offense, you know, trigger too many times. Now nobody gives a shit what you think. 
because now all it is is you're, you're whining its background noise at this point. Now when you have a valid point, again, it gets lost in, like it's lost in the noise. So again, I think these kids want to fight for everything, but it's like when you, know, when you have small kids, you, you, you pick your battles. Okay, you don't want to eat that, don't eat it. You know, I'm not going to sit here for three hours arguing with you because all it's doing is you're, you're not eating, I'm getting aggravated, I'm you know, losing more of my hair. You know, it's just not going to benefit anybody. As opposed to, I don't think you're going to drink that bottle of, of Windex. Let me have the bottle now. you, you got to know when to, when to pick your battles. And I think these kids don't know when to do that anymore. You know, well, so. And again, I think it comes back to the crit- critical thinking point that you, that you were raising earlier that we've all been sort of coming back to is that they don't know because they've never been in many bad situations. And, you know, I, I'm trying to think back to when Gort and I and Volgi, who's not on tonight, Volgi, Volgi, Volgi. Jive, whoever he is, I don't even know what to call him. The we were all in unnamed Jesuit school together. I mean, there was a lot of offensive stuff that was said every day to everybody. You know, it was just it was brutal. But that was part of being at that school. You know, and it was you had to pick your fights, like Mandy said. You know, you had to know when somebody was purposely trying to hurt you with the words as opposed to when somebody was just kidding around with you and being a jerk that the, I get around a lot about New York city. You know, I'm in, I'm a New Yorker upstate, you know, not by birth, but by choice, God forbid. But it's one of those things where I do respect New York city because traditionally, if not now they have a, they have the ability to make fun of each other with sharp elbows you know, they'll make fun of you for being Italian. They'll make fun of you for being Puerto Rican or Jewish or Catholic or, you know, white or black. You, you, you pick it and they'll make fun of you for it. But it's, if it's good natured, they generally roll with it because they've had to because there's like 8 million people crammed onto an island and a half, basically. And it's just one of those things. And Chicago, I think, is similar, although I'm not as familiar with Chicago because there's so many different ethnic people crammed into a very small area where they've all sort of had to have that okay, what am I going to fight about? You know, is this important enough to fight about? You know, but we've lost that. We've lost that ability to sort of go, okay, you know, this guy's a jerk. I'm moving on. Or this guy's, you know, what do you need to fight about? And nobody gets that anymore. Do we need to fight about statues of Robert E. Lee? No, not necessarily. But I just want to make sure, you know, I have questions. Why? Why do you want to get rid of all these statues? What's your, what's your end goal here? I mean, I don't mind removing them. I sort of get that they're offensive. You know, I'm, I'm not a black person. I you know I'm, my family was Confederates. They've been here since the 1600s. You know, it's just one of those things. And I'm going, I don't feel any need to fly a Confederate flag over my house. I don't feel any, you know, where's an appropriate place for it? In a museum on Confederate headstones, maybe below the United States flag in a graveyard that's Confederate war dead, you know, maybe. But other than that, there's no need for that. You know, and it's, it's like, but Robert E. Lee, I'm going, yes, he's a, he was a secessionist, you know, he wasn't really a secessionist. He was a West Point guy, you know, if you, he was a very complicated figure. He really didn't want to fight for the Confederacy, but he felt the need to go back and fight for his home state, his Commonwealth, I guess, because, you know, Virginia's a Commonwealth, because they're special. Um, but it, it's, it's a very complicated historical relationship, and everybody reduces it to like a black and white issue. And I'm going, Robert E. Lee was good and bad. FDR friggin' put the Japanese who were Americans for four generations into gosh darn concentration camp, not concentration camps. That, that overstates it. But internment into, camps. Internment camps. He, he wasn't trying to kill them all, but he certainly removed them from their houses and had their property taken away from them with no, for, you know, for, with no compensation. And it, it, you know, and it was 
with rid of law. I mean, there's the, the Democrats have done horrible things too, but nobody likes to talk about that. You know, and go ahead. I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. You know, ahead, say, you, you brought up a great point. I want to jump on this before I forget. And you bring up a good point. We look at we look at history through today's events. You know, you talk about Robert E. Lee went back not to fight for the Confederacy. You went back to fight for Virginia. You know, back in the 1800s, we still didn't have that strong federal system. You know, it was the states were, you know, it, it was the states. The states came first and the federal government. Now it's totally reversed. Everything is Washington-centric, and it trickles back down to the states. There's not that state identity. You know, and, and you know, for, for better or for worse, we, we all should be Americans. I shouldn't be an Illinoisan. You shouldn't be a New Yorker. You know, it, when the time comes, you know, we don't fight, you know, wars. You know, we don't send a New York battalion. We don't send a, you know, a battalion from Illinois. We don't send one from Virginia. You know, we go as integrated, you know, units. Every unit's got, like I said, people from all over, you know, the country. But again, you can't. It's easy to come back and with a you know a scolding finger wave at our ancestors and say, look at those guys, look how evil they were. Look at George Washington, look at Thomas Jefferson. You know, there was something about Al Sharpton, you know, today talking about maybe, you know, maybe the Jefferson Memorial is, is you know, its time has come. Yeah, at what point do we have to go back back and say, look, yeah, these guys were flawed characters. I you can't you can't judge them based on today's moral standards. And in some ways, these our moral standards aren't very moral at all. I mean, the things that we allow I mean, you just see the things that are acceptable now. Friggin' hippies.